please turn with me in your scriptures to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verse 7 in just a moment. <clears throat> I would like, however, to give you a little bit of background as to what we're going to be looking at. Often in the Old Testament, the Word of God, the Hebrew Scriptures, often in the Old Testament, God gives us a picture or a type of New Testament truth. I'm sure you're aware of that. I want to give you a few uh, examples of that in just a moment. But the Old Testament will often picture New Testament truth. It's a beforehand type of thing. Now, the trouble with it is, and, and there's always a downside to some of these things, we want to be extra careful. It's very important not to go beyond the boundaries of scriptural truth. That is because something looks like a type in the Old Testament. It may not be. And we can somehow twist the scriptures to fit it, and we don't want to do that. We want to know what God said, not what we think about what God said. So what we want to do is not go beyond the context of the scriptures, but we want to uh, make sure that we're uh, keeping in the boundaries of biblical interpretation. Uh, there are some specific passages that are reiterated in the New Testament, and so we know, for example, that of course that is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ or about the New Testament. But we also want to be careful that we're not going beyond the borders uh, uh, and be careful in our interpretation. Many, many groups have gone far astray claiming something from the Old Testament that is not New Testament truth. So we want to be careful about that. Uh, I have you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, I want you to think about this for a moment. Remember the first Passover when God was going to take the children of Israel out of uh, Egypt. And, of course, Moses was a facilitator of that, God doing miraculous things through Moses. And then we come to the first Passover. And you know the story so well. Uh, the putting the blood on the lintel, the meal, the Passover lamb. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now, is that referring to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, yes, we believe that, right? Very, very much so. Why do we believe it, though? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Look at it with me for a moment. <clears throat> I'm going to break into the context. Uh, the, 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 uh, the people of Corinth were very far from what the Lord would have them to be, and he wants them to recognize that uh, they need to be careful how they're handling the Scriptures. But in verse 7... Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as ye yourselves understand, for even Christ our Passover is sanctified for us. Even Christ our Passover. I believe that's, that's a, a direct reference back to the Old Testament Passover lamb. So we're going to look at a couple of things like that. First of all, there's one that I find amazing, and I won't have you turn to it, just listen for a moment. For example, in Genesis 5.24, Enoch. The scriptures say, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. What does that mean? Well, when you get out all my Greek and Hebrew Bibles, my Hebrew uh, text, uh, Kylan Delich, one of the finest groups of uh, men having to do with the Old Testament truth, what it says is he disappeared. Enoch disappeared. It's kind of interesting. He walked with God, and then he was not, for God took him. 
I kind of see that as maybe an example of what the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, and called the translation of the saints. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I, I, I see it that way. Now, God doesn't say that, but I, I just see that as a picture. Another one, of course, is Noah's Ark. Many, many com uh, commentaries uh, talk, uh, affiliate Christ with Noah's Ark. Of course, we know he was there. We know he was part of the whole process of the Noetic Flood. We understand all that, but they refer to Christ as he's the Ark. He's the Ark, Noah's Ark, because he refers to Noah, of course, in the Gospels. Then we have Abraham and his sacrifice of offering. Take thy son, thine only son, upon Mount Moriah, and there sacrifice him. A picture of the father sacrificing his son, and of course the Lord Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of the father. Then we could go uh, to the tabernacle, the whole tabernacle. Uh, many people go crazy with the tabernacle. Why? Because there can be pictures in there, and you need to be careful in your interpretation of the pictures. One guy I read said the, they had wood, wooden structure, and it was overlaid with gold. That was Christ's humanity, the wood, and his deity, the gold <coughs> overlay. Now, can that be? Of course, it, it's a beautiful picture, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what that was all about. Uh, we see the mercy seat. Now, when we get to the mercy seat, we get to 1 John, where God says that uh, Christ is our mercy seat, our propitiation, our sacrifice. So you can see a, a relationship there. Of course, when you get to the high priest, the high priest Christ is our high priest, it tells us in the book of Hebrews. Um, then you get to the sacrificial lamb. Well, we know that the sacrificial lamb was a picture of the Lord Jesus. The, he's the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Beautiful, uh, beautiful pictures in, in the scriptures. He's, Peter said that he is... The, we were saved with the precious blood of the Lamb. So you get the idea, the pictures. Well, I just wanted to give you this picture, and the picture I wanted to give you was from <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter 10. You did that in your responsive reading. Let me set the background, and then we'll take a look at that. <clears throat> Israel wanted a king. Uh, they wanted a king like all the nations round about them, and God said, I, 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 don't, I don't really don't want you to have a king. That's the Krogic translation of the whole city. I, I don't want you to have a king. I want you to have a prophet who will tell you what to do. And, but Israel insisted on the king, and, and Samuel's right in the middle of this whole thing, and he's very upset. But God says to Samuel, let them have their wish. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me. God did not want them to have a king, and yet they chose to have a king. So Samuel now is going to facilitate that, and that... He, he is among the tribes, and he picks Saul, whom God allowed the nation of Israel to have. Saul, this Saul was a very tall, uh, handsome guy. The scriptures say he was head and shoulders above everyone else. Imagine that. Tallest guy around. Did you ever see a, a very, very tall person? A very tall. Uh, I tell this story often because it, I, when my kids went to... Uh, uh, First Baptist Christian School, uh, when they first got there, um, there was a teacher there, and he was 6 feet 11 inches tall. And I didn't know it. I didn't know it. So one day he mentioned to the class that if you're not a Baptist church, there may be something wrong with you. He said it in so many words. So, of course, we're not a Baptist church, so I went in and wanted to speak to him about said issue. 
I walked in the room, he was sitting down, and he was tall as I am. <laughs> he said, well, what would you like to speak about? Nothing. <laughs> no, we talked about it, and he didn't, really mean, he didn't really mean it that way. But a very tall man stands out, and that's what Saul stood up. And the people said, we want him. We want him as our king. And God allowed them to have Saul as his, their king. Now, the interesting part is Saul was a colossal failure. Did God not know that? Well, the answer is yes, he did. And I have something I just want to share with you. Be careful, be careful, because sometimes God will give you what you want, but it's not his best. He wants something else. He wants to give you something else. But sometimes God will permit. Remember, God fed the people of Israel. He said he said, gave them the desire of their heart and then sent leanness unto their soul. Be careful of your heart's desire. It may not line up with the scripture. So, Saul now is anointed as king. Now, we read this in our responsive reading. Uh, what happened? Well, uh, Samuel said to Saul, when you're coming to be uh, uh, really anointed as king, when you're coming, you're going to meet a group of prophets coming down. These were legitimate Israeli prophets coming down from the mountains. Teachers of the word of God, proclaiming God's word, coming down from And when you see them, when you see that group of people, the spirit of God is going to come upon you and you are going to prophesy with them. Very interesting. And so, of course, we know that happened. And then the, the, the text continues on in verse 9, and God gave him another heart. Beautiful, beautiful. In my thoughts, and I want, don't want to go beyond the scriptures, obviously, that thing I just harangued about for the past 10 minutes. I don't want to go beyond the scriptures, but to me, this is a, a type, if you would, a, of, of the regeneration of New Testament Christians. It's a, it's a picture in my mind, at least, and I want to be careful again, that God, upon regeneration as a New Testament Christian, and we'll discuss it in a moment, he gives us another heart. He gives us, the Spirit of God comes upon us, and we become, head with me to 2 Corinthians 5. You're very familiar with this passage, of course. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> Look with me, please. And you're familiar, I know this, so I won't take a great deal of time. We'll break into the context again. Verse 17. Therefore, because of God's work in the life of an individual. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation or a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, if you look up this word regeneration in the Bible, it's used a couple of times in the Bible, but if you look up the word regeneration, it refers to a spiritual birth. It's not another physical birth, but a spiritual birth. It's what we call the new birth or being born again, the scriptures tell us. It's the new birth or being born again. It's a spiritual renovation. Upon believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, the Corinthian passages, obviously, upon believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God comes to indwell us, and we become a new creation in Christ Jesus. A new heart God gives unto us as born-again believers. Now, you know that. 
If you also look up the word a little bit further, the regeneration also has to do with the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns to set up his millennial kingdom on earth. It's called the regeneration of Israel, where he makes all things new for the nation of Israel following the great tribulation period. But I want to look at this because this new birth and regeneration, it, it's not, those things are not uh, successive stages in the Christian life. Not at all. They all happen at one time. I know there are groups out there that believe you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and sometime later receive the Holy Spirit. That's not true. That doesn't line up with the scriptures at all. But that's what they believe. And so remember I told you, taking things out of context can really give you a real problem. But the Bible tells us the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God sealed you upon believing, and you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. So they're not successive stages. They revert, refer to one event in the Christian life, one event that takes place upon believing. So I'm born again, I'm regenerated, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus the moment I believe. Now why am I saying that? Well, because we need to recognize, I know you do, so I want to refresh your memory, we need to recognize that that's a work of God in one's life, a, a precious work of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, the Bible tells us. God's mighty work. Now, how does that work? Well, I was walking through a field one day or something like that. Well, I don't care where you were, and I don't care what you were doing, you had to believe the word of God. None of the circumstances have anything to do with it. It's interesting. Not a thing to do with it. What had to do with your spiritual regeneration is you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, God may have brought circumstances into your life. I understand that. But I also recognize this. It had to be you heard the word of God and believed. Let's look at that. Head with me, please, to uh, where do I want us to go? Uh, let's go, please, to, uh, well, let's go to Hebrews 4. Very well-known passage to you, but Hebrews 4.12. It had to be, you heard the word of God in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Now, someone could have verbally given it to you. You could have read it somewhere heard it somewhere on the radio or television or whatever, someone mentioned it to you, but someone told you about the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. And wherever, whatever the circumstances of life, God, God uh, made you one of his children because you believed the word of God, not necessarily the circumstances. We've had a tremendous, tremendous things happen to believers. I've been part of a lot of it because I'm, I was intimately part of people's lives. Um, we, we had one couple that lost a, a baby in uh, stillbirth, uh, and, and uh, it was such a horrific factor in their life, and obviously it is that. And uh, the wife believed on the Lord Jesus Christ because of that. Is it wonderful? Now, be careful. Is it because the baby died or was it because she heard the word of God? You have to be careful there, don't you? Because some people think circumstances determine the outcome. They do not. Some people who have not lost a baby in stillbirth believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So we want to be careful about this. We're always trying to make the circumstances fit. If I went up on a mountain somewhere, I would believe because I'd look over. No, 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 no. You only believe when God's word is active in your life. The circumstances are secondary. So in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, notice, for the word of God is living and powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joint and marrow and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's by the word of God working, born again, not of corruptible seed, like silver and gold from your vain manner of life, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. The word of God working in your life uh, convicts you of sin and righteousness and judgment by the Spirit of God, and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go, please, uh, quickly now to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. The word of God working, and then the spirit of God coming to indwell, in the book of Titus chapter 3, is that renovation, that, um, that newness of life that comes the moment the spirit of God comes to dwell within you. Titus chapter 3, these are passages, again, you're very familiar with. Titus chapter 3, look with me please at, uh, well, go ahead to verses uh, 1 and following. Uh, Paul reminds Titus, make sure you put the brethren uh, in, in mind of this. Make sure they recognize uh, this. And skip down to verse uh, 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and the renovating of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God's work. Look at verse 8 of the same, same passage. This is a faithful saying, and these, uh, saying, and these things will I affirm constantly, that they who have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works, which things are good and profitable unto men. So you're not saved by works, but once you're saved, God expects you to do good work. You're not saved by it, but once you are, now God expects you to do things that will be pleasing to him and serve, particularly the brethren. As we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, Galatians said, Paul said in Galatians, let us do good unto all men, but especially those who are of the household of faith. There are people who do wonderful, meritorious things outside of the church, and we're thankful you do that. Hopefully, when you do that, you represent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but that's not necessarily your calling. You, you do that, and that's wonderful, and we're, we're glad you do that, but service within the local uh, assembly is what God's looking for, to serve the Lord right here among us, exercising those spiritual gifts. So, we're talking about regeneration, if you would, or a reviving, what happens? Well, the Spirit of God comes to indwell me. Now, I won't have you, well, I will have you turn the head with me to 1 John, please, 1 John chapter 5. Once I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God does his work within me, and now, being born again, the Spirit of God wants to lead me and guide me in this present life. God didn't save you necessarily so that you'd go to heaven, though that's the end result. And we're thankful for that. We're going to heaven. 
But if that was God's ultimate goal, the minute he saved you, he would kill you. Right? Just take you to heaven. Why? Oh, he's finally saved. Great. Pshh, gone. No, no. God saves us so that we'll serve him here on earth. We'll be his representative here on earth. When 1 John chapter 5, look at verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that is begot loveth him also that is begotten of him. So that's the fellowship of the believers. We have love for one another. Why? Because we're brethren in Christ Jesus. But it's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God seals us, and now the Spirit of God wants to do his work in us and through us. It's very, very important to recognize that. So this renovation or this sanctification now leads to our purification. What does that mean? Well, because Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, you are forgiven for all the penalty of sin, past, present, and future. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The wages of my sin was death, but Christ paid that price for me. Say, well, what are you talking about? I, I, I know all that. Well, good. I'm glad that you do. I'm just refreshing here uh, just for a moment. But realize this, and, and, and it's hard to kind of wrap our head around it all the time. A Christian may suffer, how, how can I say this? Okay, a Christian may suffer the consequences of sin here on earth, right? But they will not experience the penalty of that sin in glory. They've been forgiven. So you may suffer the consequences. If you do something awful to your body, God is not necessarily going to give you a new body. I mistreated myself as a young person. I mistreated myself terribly, terribly, physically, mentally, and every other way. But now the physical part is starting to show up. I ran hundreds of miles uh, when I was doing boxing with the old cruddy Converse sneakers. Flat, ran and ran and ran because your legs needed to be tough, you know, and ruined my knees. Uh, I did all kinds of sports, and it frightens me. People have their kids involved in sports so much. You only get so many joint moves, you know. <laughs> After that, it doesn't work so well anymore. But I, I did, I did all, all those things. I'm suffering the consequences of that. I'm not saying that was necessarily a sin, but just given it, I'm, if, if I did illegal things, I could suffer the consequences of that. There's, there's marriages that have suffered the consequences of sinful behavior. We recognize all that, but I'm no longer guilty before the Lord for the penalty of that sin. That penalty of condemnation unto damnation. So we want to we look at that just for a moment. Head with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Now why am I saying all these things? Because following our regeneration, being born again, is something God calls sanctification or being set apart unto God. A new life, if you would, in Christ. We're in Colossians and we're in chapter 2. Let's look at verse 9 for a moment, please. Colossians 2.9. Notice in Colossians 2.9, For in him, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and powers. 
in whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So it, this is a spiritual act that wasn't a physical act. He died physically on Calvary's cross that we might have spiritual life in him. We don't have to go through anything physical in order to be uh, born again. Some people believe that. There are many groups out there that believe different aspects of this. You have to do something. There's churches up and down the street that believe that you have to do something to be saved. Uh, if you go up to the church up, the, up near the corner on the right-hand side as you head that way uh, north on Route 1, that group believes you get to heaven by doing good things. By doing good things. We need to be careful what God says about that. Notice in verse uh, 13, he says, And you, being dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Everything's forgiven. So we are no longer under the penalty of sin, though we can in this life, as we operate, as we walk, we can become uh, subject to the consequences of sin here on earth, even after we're saved. So that's what I want to talk about for a moment, if we can, is because of our regeneration. Head with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Because of our regeneration, because I have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's not it. It's it as far as going to heaven is concerned, but God has something else for me. And that is, he wants me to walk or conduct myself in the new man. I have a dual problem in my life. One of them is the new man. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. All things have become new, but I can still go back to the old way of thinking called the old man. Colossians and Ephesians both say, put off the old man, put on the new. Put off the old man, put on the new. Why? The old man was like this, and you are supposed to be like that. A new creation in Christ Jesus. It's not our old way of thinking. We have a new mind, and that mind is the mind of Christ. What, what is it that he wants from me? And uh, I remember years and years ago, uh, people, there, was a, there was a slogan out there, and it bothered me almost from the start, but the, it was, uh, what would Jesus do? And what they used to do is look at the Gospels. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And they completely eliminate the epistles. Listen, that's his word as well. Look in the epistles to see what God wants you to do. The epistles are written for us to know who he is and his purposes and how we need to conduct our lives. So when you ask, what would Jesus do? Don't stop at John. Keep going to see what he'd have you to do. All the way to the end, even the book of the Revelation that talks about things to come. We're in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse 1 for a moment, please. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. Therefore, them that... Uh, let me read that again. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk, <laughs> conduct yourself, abide, how you ought to walk, uh, with uh, how you ought to walk, and to please God, so you would abound more and more. <coughs> Walking. Now, um, 
Pastor Rob has done such an excellent job over the few weeks in Philippians. He's done a good job right from the start, but Philippians particularly. When we're talking about the gospel, the gospel is the good news that you don't need to die and go to hell. That you don't need to earn your salvation. But when we talk about the gospel, it's also the good news of new life in Christ. Not only am I born again, but God gives me the strength to carry on. He doesn't dump you by the curb. Okay, wait until you die and I'll see you in heaven. No, no. We're now indwelt with the Spirit of God, who is Christ himself, the Father himself, and the Spirit himself. The triunity dwells within us. And as that happens, God gives us the ability, the strength, and the wisdom to walk with him every single day. So I can put off that old life. Before I was saved, I was not able not to sin. Before I was saved, I was not able not to sin. Now that I'm saved, I'm able not to sin. And God wants me to walk in that new life. Now that doesn't mean I'm not going to sin. That happens. But I don't need to be stuck in that sin. Remember, he saved us from the power of sin in our life. We do not need to yield. So Paul is talking to the church at Thessalonica. Pick it up in verse 2. For you know that uh, the commandment of the Lord that we gave you by the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, and that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor, not in lust, the lust of sensuality, even as the Gentiles who know not God. See, don't conduct yourself like the world. Why? Because you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. He saved you from the power of sin in your life. You need to recognize that and walk in that new man. That's the good news. I can. That's the gospel. That's the good news. I can do that. I have an illustration. Can, can I give it to you? A human illustration, just a a brief thing. If some of you have heard this before, it's time to go to sleep. I'll wake you up when I'm done, okay? <laughs> My wife and I had a ministry in Maine for uh, two, almost three years, I believe it was. But anyway, a ministry in Maine, and we had farms all around us. We were, we were out in the, in the sticks. We were one half hour away from a grocery store. So uh, we were way out in the sticks, and uh, we enjoyed it. We liked it. It, was, it had its issues and things, but uh, we had to get milk from a farm. And we went to this farm, and the farmer became friends with us, and we would get milk, and it was a big tub, and he said, make sure you turn it on, that way you don't take all the cream from the milk. And anyway, we'd get this milk from him. Well, we became, I became friendly with him, and I wanted to, because I wanted to talk to him about the Lord, obviously. Well, one day I went there, and it was in late spring, and late spring uh, is uh, July in May. Two seasons in May. Cold and a little less cold. Well, anyway, it was cold, so, and it was still a lot of snow, so all the cattle were in the barn. There must have been 60 of them in the barn. And when I went there, he said, I want to show you something. I said, great. And he, he said, I have all kinds of new uh, calves born. Isn't that wonderful? He said, why don't you go get your children and bring them? Of course. You know, you want my kids to see little baby calves. So we, we, I got the kids... Uh, my daughter was a little bit older, my son four years younger than that. But I brought him there, and we went inside the barn, and we watched these cows, and the little baby cows. But the inside of the barn reeked 
reeked with animal droppings and urine. But after a few minutes in there, you didn't smell it anymore. You really didn't. Well, I smelled it a little bit. I'm exaggerating. So we got home, and we walked in the door, and Nancy said, wow, you guys stink. You know, she didn't say stink. She was very kind about it. So the kids upstairs getting a scrub down and stuff. You know? And I had on a coat, an old coat. It's all we could afford. I look like Abraham Lincoln in the thing. And I need to take a shower. So I hung the coat in the closet. I just, give me a break, will you? I hung the coat in the closet. And I went and took my shower and everything's fine. Well, it was, it was an entranceway closet, so we didn't use it much. So I... Uh, went, had an occasion to go there a couple days later, open the closet. It was terrible. It stunk. It hadn't changed. That's the old man. That's him. That's him. I don't have to put on that coat. But every once in a while, we choose to go back and put on that stinking garment. That's the old man. Every once in a while, we decide to go back there. Here's the key. You don't have to. You have a new coat. You're clothed with righteousness. But every once in a while, we give that up, and we go back in and put on that stinking coat. And guess what? You stink when you have that coat on. God said, I've chose you out of the world. To do what? To represent me. To represent me. You don't have to go back and put that coat on. You can put on the deodorant of Christ, a sweet-smelling savor. We can. We can walk like him and, and act like him and live like him and let him work through us. There's a couple passages I'll just remind you of. He says, we are his ambassadors for Christ. You can't, you can't be a testimony with a stinking coat on. You, you tell people about Christ and you act just like the world? No, no, no. They, they, they don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that thing. They want to see newness of life in you. If you claim Christ, they want to see an example of that. They want to see someone who lives up to it. Peter tells us that. If, he says, if you're set apart with Christ, if that's true, okay, when everyone else, James, I'm sorry, oh, it was Peter. Peter says, when everyone else is, is all out of sorts because of the conditions of life, you, you live for me, and they'll ask a reason for the hope that's in you. See, we can, we can live a set-apart life. Now, we're in 1 Thessalonians. Look at, look at verse uh, 2, if you would. I mean, verse 3 again. For this is the will of God. This is interesting. He doesn't say this is the option of God. He doesn't say that. God's giving you a choice here. He doesn't say that. This is the will of God. This is what God wants. But he'll permit you to do otherwise. He'll permit it. But it's going to cost dearly. What will it cost? The consequences of sin on earth. Not only that, as you, you, you walk this life not having the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness... Self-control, the Spirit of God. Why? Because you have the old cloak on. You went back in that closet, and, and it stinks like the cows did. 
And so God wants us to walk in a, a newness of life and uh, walk with him by his power. Now, we want, we want to look at a couple of passages very quickly. Uh, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. I know Pastor Rob was there, and he did this great, great justice. Hopefully, I will not interfere with any of that, but we're in Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> See, he wants to shine through us. That's the whole key. We, you are the light of the world. Don't walk in darkness. Walk in light. We're that light, and he wants to shine through us. It's his good pleasure to do that. But when you put on the old man, the coat, if you would, it's not a physical thing. Understand, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's a spiritual thing. When I put on the coat, I'm now walking in, the, uh, I'm walking in my flesh. And what's the flesh? It's what you used to be. That's why you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, because you knew that guy was rotten. And so we walk in newness of life. Philippians 2, look at verses 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as much in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out the ter term, the continual action, keep on working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Does that mean I have to do it? You know, I've got to struggle and do it? No, no, no. Why? Because it's God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We can walk in newness of life by the power of God. The minute you take it on yourself, the minute you take that Christian walk on in the power of your own flesh, you're already lost. You, you can't do it. You can't do it. We know, of course, head with me to Romans chapter 13 now. So I am regenerated by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. I'm empowered by the Spirit of God who dwells in me. That was one act. And now God tells me, I want you to walk in my power. You, you earthen vessel, Paul tells the Corinthians. Let Christ shine through you as an earthen vessel. We're in Romans chapter 13. I'm sorry, 15, 15, I'm very sorry. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. And I myself also am persuaded of you, brethren, that you also are filled with goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. So realize that God has given us the strength. Romans also tells us when we put on Christ, we're putting on the new man. So it's always his power, it's always his strength, it's always his might and his ability. But I am to yield myself to that. I'm to yield myself to it. So I have a responsibility. What is that? To submit to Christ. To give myself to him. Now, kind of in closing here, let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Ephesians 4.1. Now remember I started off saying you have to be very, very careful of our putting likes from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And I did that with Saul. I want to be careful about that. Why is that? Well, because I believe Saul was born again, an Old Testament born again believer, the minute he believed God gave him a, a, the spirit and a new heart. I believe that. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm exacting, because there are many people who don't believe that Saul was a, became a Christian. And that's okay. I don't want to argue with them. But all I want to do is point out, if Saul indeed did become a Christian, 
and believing the word of God, his sanctification fell completely apart. And you can look at the destruction of the life of King Saul. His end on this earth was terrible. Now I trust I'll see him in heaven. I trust that so. I do not know that for sure, but I trust that so. And listen, you've been given new life in Christ if you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't make your life a train wreck while you live here on earth. And I've seen many Christians do that. They're saved. They go on to heaven and thank the Lord for that. But their life becomes a train wreck here on earth. Why? Well, because they go over to the closet. They open it up and say, I like some parts of that old man. And they put it back on. And as a result of that, they live a life of total, total destruction here on earth. Are they going to heaven yet? Oh, yeah. If they believed on the Lord Jesus, the only reason they're going to heaven is because he said so, not because they acted. That's the only reason. Now, we're in Ephesians chapter 4 for a moment, if we could. Look at verse 1. Paul talking about uh, uh, the, the Christians at Ephesus. And I want to remind you, I talked to the men uh, about this on, uh, on Saturday morning. We have a men's meeting on Saturday morning at 7 a.m. But we talked about this just for a minute. If you take the church at Ephesus as an example, just as an example, the 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 first generation, when Paul went to Ephesus and taught the word of God, they believed, and there was a great group of believers there. And they grew and they flourished, and Paul was thankful for them. But then Paul has to start writing some more letters to Corinth, uh, I mean, uh, sending some people to Corinth, I mean Ephesus. Now, why was that? Because they were, they were slipping away from the things of the Lord, and Paul had to remind them uh, through his representatives about this. And then when you get to the book of the Revelation, it was only three generations later, the church at Ephesus no longer stood for God. Only three generations later. Now, we've been along, around here a long time, more than three generations. And I like to think, and I believe with my heart, that we represent the Lord here. But we're only a generation away from destruction. We're only a generation away. Why? If you let the word of God slip. If you go back and put on that old coat. If we tell our kids, it's okay to put on part of the coat. You can't put on the whole thing. No, no. A little leaven will leaven the whole lump. It just happens. And God warns us about that, doesn't he? So Paul says to the church at Ephesus, I therefore, the president of the Lord, beseech you, beg you, plead with you, that you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Walk worthy of that calling. What's the worthy walk? It's just simply this, to walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly and you will not do the lust of the flesh. That's the whole walk that God gives us. But it's not in your own power. You know, you, you can walk around dressed in all wonderful clothing, uh, you know, uh, decent, moral, and still being a moral person. It's not what you put on physically, 
It's not what you get yourself involved with mentally. It's are you walking in the power of the Word of God? It's the Word of God that works. It's the Spirit of God using the Word of God in my life. And brothers and sisters, those of you who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, if, if you truly are a regenerated person, then God is looking for us to set our affections on things above. He's looking for us to be ambassadors for Christ. Our calling was a high calling, a holy calling, a sanctified calling. That's what God wants from us. That's what he's looking for in our lives. And so if you're here this morning, <clears throat> you say, I don't really know what that guy's talking about. Well, ask some people. But if you really don't completely recognize it, perhaps you were not regenerated at all. Perhaps you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Maybe you've been playing church for a long time. And one of my biggest fears when I talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ who think they're saved, and yet there doesn't seem to be any, there's, there's no spark, there's nothing there. Maybe they are saved, I don't know. But one of my biggest fears is they will open their eyes in hell upon death and wonder how they got there. So we, you and I, need to make sure, make sure of your salvation. Are you in Christ? Are you, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Not, not this business. I always believed. No, you didn't. You had to reach a point where you knew you were a sinner in need of a Savior and received Him. You had to do that. You weren't always saved. It was not a flesh and blood. John tells us it's, it was the Spirit of God using the Word of God to convict you of sin. So if you're here this morning and you are not regenerated, what do I need to do? Do I need to give a lot of money to the church? No, no. Do I need to do a lot of good things? Maybe I should go down to Providence and help the homeless and all this. No, that's not going to do it. Won't do it at all. You're only born again, regenerated, saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, by believing his word. And if you're here this morning and you are regenerated, how do you conduct yourself? You conduct yourself according to this. This. How? By reading the Word of God and allowing the Spirit of God to work through your life so that you live a sanctified life. What is sanctified? It makes it sound like I walk around with my hands looking at the ceiling. You know. No, it, it has nothing to do with that. Sanctified is God working in me and through me in daily life so I shine as a light for Him. It's not what you look like. There's a bunch of hypocrites out there that look godly and steal from Christians. There's a lot of those people around. It's talking about someone who not says something, but someone who is something. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, an Old Testament example of becoming a new man. But I also thank you, Father, for an Old Testament example of a man who did not live a sanctified life, who died a horrible death, having his and his son's heads cut off by the Philistines. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, we would walk in newness of life as New Testament Christians, not in our own strength, not by our own power, but by the word, the will, and the spirit of God. 
Father, help us to recognize it's not an option. It's not something that I can pick or choose. It's something I must do because your word says this is the will of God. I thank you, Father, for each of my brethren here this morning. We again pray for Pastor Rob as he brings forth the word of God, that the spirit of God might use that mightily in the hearts. And that living word of God would strike deep, would open up those men and women wide that they could not reject the glorious gospel of Christ. Thank you for this time, for your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.